to the Make an Impact podcast presented by the American Association of Suicidology. I'm Chris Cosentino, and today we're joined by author and crisis counselor, Lisa Sugarman. Welcome to the podcast, Lisa. Hey, Chris. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Now, we connected through your very active social media channels, and for those who might not be aware of your work, please share some more about you and your background. Yeah, sure. Um, I'm a lot of things these days that all somehow jive together in the mental health space. I'm a survivor of suicide loss, I guess, first and foremost. I lost my dad to suicide when I was 10 years old, but uh, that's, that's, I'm sure, a, a part of my story that you and I will get into at length. But I'm not only a survivor, I'm also a mental health advocate. And about a year or so ago, I became a crisis counselor with the Trevor Project. Excellent. Yeah. And, and to, to dive into your story, it's it, it's quite uh, interesting in the sense that when you mentioned it to me, I was like, wow, I'm very curious to know if, if that is a unique story um, or if other people have experienced such a thing. Um, you know, so I, I mean, listen, grief stemming from any form of loss is a process, right? Yeah. But in your story, you, you lost your father twice, as you've put it. You want to dive into that? Yeah, yeah. I did lose him twice. And, you know, when I say that to people, I, I definitely get some odd reactions because it's, it's just not something you'd expect to hear from someone. But in my case, I mean, I was 10 years old and my dad died. And the narrative that I was given at that time by my mom was that my father had had a heart attack in his sleep and, and had died because, of course, it was incredibly sudden. He was in fairly good health, uh, he was super active. He didn't have any other presenting issues that would have been a reason why he had passed away at age 45. And it wasn't until I was 45 years old myself, married with two almost grown kids at that point, that I learned the truth about my father's death that it was a suicide and that he had in fact taken his life. And that at the time when my mom, you know, was kind of confronted with, you know, what do I do? How do I tell my 10 year old daughter who's an only child that her person in the world is gone? My mom just kind of made the game time call to just give me, I guess, a story that I could handle, that I could process that made sense to me because I mean, we all know if we've been anywhere and we've been touched by suicide, we know that it's complex. You know, there are so many unanswered questions. There are so many, so many very unique feelings and stigmas attached to it that my mom just didn't want to layer that on top of me at the same time that I was, just, you know, grieving him being gone. So I lived with that narrative for 35 years of my life. And then everything kind of got upended and just blown apart when I was 45 and I found out the truth. So that's, that's kind of the, the short version of, of my story and why it's a little bit more unique than I guess maybe a typical survivor story. Now, how did you find out? You mentioned when you were 45 years old, you've, you've lived your, you know, from, from 10 years, 10 years old to, to 45, uh, you know, thinking that your father had passed away by a sudden heart attack. Um, how did you find out that, it, that he did die by suicide? Yeah, that's a that's a good question. It's it wasn't in some incredibly dramatic or theatrical kind of way. I didn't discover a note or um, you know, some hidden tapes or s something that, you know, was 
was more dramatic, but I just had a conversation with a family member. Just my husband and I were out having lunch at a cafe and we just in my hometown and we bumped into a cousin of mine and hadn't seen each other for a while. And she sat down and, and we just were catching up. And it was just like a normal kind of, you know, haven't seen you for a while, catch up kind of conversation. And very kind of suddenly and very spontaneously, I guess, without any for me, it was with any warning whatsoever. My cousin just asked me if my two daughters, who at the time I think were like in their teens, probably like mid to late teens, she asked if they had had any of the same mental health issues and depression as my father. And I, I looked at her like, what the hell are you talking about? Like I had absolutely no idea what she might've been getting at. And I just kind of, it was, you know, in that moment without being prepared to answer a question like that, or even ever having thought in those terms, I, I really just kind of took it in. And I mean, I gave her the only answer I could, which was to say at that point, no, the girls are good. And then I just kind of tucked it away. And my mother and I are incredibly, incredibly close. And so the next time she and I were together, I just, I just asked her just in the context of kind of one of the typical conversations that she and I would have, we were just out for lunch and we were just reminiscing. And I asked her, if my dad had been depressed. And she said, yes, she didn't hesitate at all. And she said, yes. And I knew he had had a lot of stress. He had, there was a lot of family related stress. My dad ran um, the real estate business that my grandparents had built after they passed away. And so uh, that I wasn't surprised to hear, but I never in my imagination ever dreamt that it could have been beyond that. And I asked my mom just point blank without really even knowing I was about to ask the words. I don't know if you've ever been in that situation where you just kind of, you lead with your mouth and not with your head and you ask the question. And I asked if he had taken his life and she said, yes. And that's just when everything, you know, kind of blew up for me and for her, because for 35 years, she had never intended to tell me really what, you know, what the truth was only because she felt like, well, you know, you're, you're going off to school now, you're getting married now, you're having kids now, what's the point? But when I asked her directly, she had always promised herself that she would never lie to me. If I asked her, so I asked. And what's that? Was. What's that first emotion um, when you oh, find God, out? Like, you know, I've thought back on that moment so many times in the last ten years, because it's been ten years now that I that I've known this truth, and it's it's really I can't even describe that moment because it's so chaotic. It's it's so chaotic and it's so surreal at the same time. It's almost like, well, no, that's not that's not possible. Like that can't possibly have happened. Like we can't possibly be talking about my dad, not the dad that I know and that I grew up with who presented in such a way that you'd fall in love with him three seconds after you met him. He was just charming in all the right ways and outgoing and loving and kind and, you know, everything positive that you could think about a person. And you would never have sensed that there was any kind of darkness or illness and so the whole thing was just, I guess, if I had to pick a word, I would say completely surreal and impossible. I'm curious to know. I mean, obviously, you're, you're 10 years old. You, you just found out that you lost your father. But I'm curious to know that difference between losing your father suddenly to a heart attack and finding out that they died by suicide. How does one process that grief differently, whether it's a heart attack or suicide? I'm curious to know, is there a difference? Uh, 
Well, I mean, I'm sure there's there's definitely a difference because you're you're talking about the root of both of those things being so so wildly different. You know, I mean, someone dies of cancer, dies of a heart attack, has an accident. That's beyond someone's control, right? We we think of it that way. And that I guess I guess it's this is a good point for me in our conversation to bring up the fact that for a very long time I felt my own personal belief about suicide was that it was a very selfish act. Going back to when I was a little girl, I had a cousin, very close cousin. He lived right around the corner from me. He passed away, died by suicide the year before my father died. So that was kind of my first introduction into what suicide even was, because my parents were fairly honest with me in an age appropriate way. So, I mean, when I heard that my father had died, it was just such deep, deep sadness, sadness for him, of course, sadness for us. There was that feeling like he was robbed. He was robbed of his life and his opportunity to be with his family. And so, you know, it was poor dad. That was kind of the mentality that I held for so many decades after I learned he was gone. And then you get to a point, get to the point where I got to finding out that it wasn't, in fact, a heart attack. It was, in fact, his decision to take his own life. And and that just upended everything. And it went from a place of, oh, my God, my poor dad, to me being bullshit at my father for leaving my mother in the situation she left she was left in. And it wasn't even an anger at him for leaving me. I just felt this overwhelming sense for a very, very long time of anger toward him for putting her in that position of of all of a sudden now having to be the breadwinner and having to be the mother and the father and the provider. And that, that really just, it, it really just shattered me. So that was, for me, that was the difference. It went from this sadness on his behalf to being angry at him. Now, have you ever come across someone who has a similar story? It's interesting that you say that because uh, personally, no, but I, I've been very active on the YouTube channel that I launched pretty recently. Uh, I have a suicide survivor series that I've been dropping videos every week. And I just had someone this morning comment to me in regard to a video that I posted about, you know, kind of my, my story. And she said she actually had a very similar story. Um, The only difference was she was an adult when she learned the truth about her father, lost her father when she was an adult. And then also, you know, shortly thereafter found out it was a suicide, but not for, for a while. So there was a period of time for this, this person when they didn't, they didn't know it was a suicide. So there was definitely that similarity. But no, I, I mean, it, it really kind of, I think, is not just a unique thing for me, but it's it's also now with me being kind of so active in the mental health space and the suicide awareness space, not a story I've heard before from a lot of people. So if, it, if it's not as unique as, as it might seem, what advice do you have for someone who might be going through that same process right now? I feel like I keep saying the same thing to to anybody with, you know, who gives me that kind of a question. And that's to just meet yourself exactly where you are. Meet your feelings, whatever they might be, exactly where those feelings are right now. If you're pissed, be pissed. If you're 
sad, if you're inconsolable, if, you know, if, if you, you feel like you need people, like whatever it is that, that you need to do with those emotions, um, you know, don't, don't try and avoid them. Don't tuck them away. Don't save them to deal with them later on. Just deal with them right now because, um, they will come back and bite you if you don't for sure. What have you learned about the differences between losing a parent, specifically a father, um, in your case, um, to suicide, uh, compared to losing a spouse or a sibling? What were the differences? What have the differences been that you've seen meeting with so many people? Well, I mean, you know, losing losing a dad. I, my, my dad, like I said earlier, was my person in this world. I was a tomboy. He was the one who would, you know, hike with me and bike with me and um, mountain climb with me. And so having that grounding influence, that, you know, person who showed me the outside world and helped me fall in love with it like that, to have that taken away was, I, I mean, it was just it was paralyzing in a lot of ways for me, um, having to watch my mother go through life without a partner. I mean, I was 10, 10 years old, so I was obviously young, but there was an awful lot that I understood about, you know, family dynamics. I understood that there's usually uh, a mom and there's usually a, a dad or, you know, two people together holding a family together. And I was very acutely aware from a really young age that my mom didn't have that. And I think that's why I always worked extra hard to make things easier for my mom. But yeah, those are some of the things that I, I felt just in losing a dad. And I mean, I have a really close friend that we lost just a little over two years ago, one of our closest childhood friends to suicide. And again, that was a shock. No one saw that coming. And so I'm super, super close with his widow. And you know, it's it's interesting to to see what she's gone through and hear what she's gone through losing a spouse like that. And again, this is you know someone who whose spouse took care of all the bills and and took care of the house and you know everybody kind of has their roles and all of a sudden you don't have that person anymore. You don't have that anchor anymore, and it's. And it's just devastating. And then there's the, you know, there, there are so many just nuances, you know, you're, you're in that big bed alone that you used to share with your person or you're alone at the dinner table or you're forced to be at, at functions alone and um, engaging with the world alone. And it's, it's hard. It's, it's really, really hard. You know, I've seen friends go through it. I've seen my mom go through it. And and it's uh, it's a gut wrenching thing to watch. Now you mentioned your YouTube channel, which is great, by the way. Oh, um, thank you. Thanks. <laughs> in your words, how can storytelling help end that stigma surrounding suicide, mental illness, uh, and to really normalize the conversation about mental health, suicide, loss, and grief? Um, you do such a great job on your YouTube channel being completely honest and, and uh, sharing your story. Um, but I'm curious to know, how do we get more people to share their story? You know, I, th I think that storytelling is probably one of the greatest tools that we have 
because there is nothing, I think, in my own opinion, that can replicate or replace the human experience. You have human experiences in your life. I'm sure there are people in your life that you've lost. There are milestones that you've reached. There are joys that you've celebrated. Like those are, those are deep and powerful experiences that, sure, we can read about those in books. We can watch movies about them. We can, um, you know, we, we can experience them kind of secondhand from people. But when you go through something on your own and it's embedded in your mind, it's embedded in your heart, that's, that's, a, that's a different place of understanding. And each of us who are survivors, we, we've got all these, these, these pillars, right, of grief attached to suicide that are so similar, right? We've got anger or we've got the bargaining or we've got um, that deep sadness or we have the why. But in between all of those pillars, that's where the uniqueness is. That's where our own personal experience is. And for me, I've found that I gravitate more toward what someone's experience in a similar space is than I, than I do to a textbook or I do to a memoir of, uh, maybe a memoir is a bad example, but, um, you know, to any other body of work. Because the way that we feel about that experience and the way we put those feelings out into the world, there is nothing like that ability to storytell. You go all the way back to the beginning, beginning of time. We didn't have anything but storytelling to communicate the way we felt and the way, um, the way things were happening around us. And, and I think that today, this is the biggest and best tool that we have in our box to help us to really create vulnerability in people. And I think that's what it is. That's the root of it, in my opinion. It's it's exposing people's vulnerability and then tapping it. And that's how we impact the stigma piece of suicide and of mental illness. Because the more of us that are out here who are talking about what we've gone through and how it's felt and and doing it in a raw and unapologetic way. Like that's how we get to people. That's how you affect change. And so far in my own experience, there's nothing I found does it better than, than sharing your story. Now on your website, lisasugarman.com, you have this impressive list of resources. What is your vision to improve access to these resources? Well. I, I, my, my overarching goal is to make the most comprehensive list of mental health resources there is out there. Um, you know, I know that there are a lot of organizations who, who have accumulated a lot of, a lot of their own very powerful resources, support systems, um, maybe in, in one area or in another area. What I want to try and do is, to kind of combine all the areas, whether it be help for teens or help for the elderly or help for the BIPOC community or the Asian community or the European community or the Canadian community. Um, I, I really just want to develop a list that 
people can access quickly. They know that it's vetted. They know they can depend on it. They know that they can find what they need easily and that they can get the help that they need right away. Because that way, look, when you're in crisis, and I, I know this from my experience as a crisis counselor, when you need help, you need it right now. You need to know you can depend on it. You need someone to point you in the right direction. And you need to be able to execute as quickly as you can. Because nine times out of 10, when you really need help, you're in crisis. So that's what, I, that's what my overarching goal is with this resource page. It's to, it's to offer people the resources and the support and the services that they need and, and really just have it be kind of a click away. You do so much work with several organizations. Why is collaboration so important in this field? We're all trying to do the same thing. We're, we're all out there working toward the same goal, right? Like we are all trying to, I don't know if you want to use the word eradicate. In an ideal world, it would be eradicating suicide or minimizing suicide or reducing stigmas, but whatever you want to call it, we're all out there doing the same work. And it's not about who's doing this better and who's doing that better. It's how can we combine our resources? How can we combine our knowledge and our vision? for creating a world where mental illness is not stigmatized and where people don't feel like the only option that they have to end their pain is to end their life. And, you know, look, there's strength in numbers. Like, I can't say it any more simply than that. Like, you know, there's, there's power in collaboration because what you might bring to the table is different than what I might bring to the table and the 10 other people that we're collaborating with and combined together, those resources are going to be a hell of a lot stronger than any one of us on our own. Through your personal and professional experiences, what has been the most impactful lesson that you've learned about suicide? Be vulnerable. Be vulnerable in sharing your story. Be vulnerable in sharing your feelings if you're the one who is experiencing a mental health crisis. Vulnerability, I think, transcends everything. You know, when you're, when you're open, when you're transparent and honest, you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. And when you're really letting somebody know what it is that's going on inside your headspace or your heart space, whatever it is that's causing you conflict, when you let someone know that, then they have the best opportunity to help you because they know what's really going on. If we're kind of cherry picking, I'm going to tell them this, I'm not going to tell them that. I'm going to tell them this and not that. When we do that, we're only limiting ourselves. If we're not sharing our full story with people, then maybe I'm missing a part of my own story that could be the most valuable part of my survivor story to share with someone. So I share it all so that whatever I've gone through, may benefit the most number of people. And, you know, you do the same thing with your own mental well-being too. You know, if you're not okay, say you're not okay and tell people why. Because, look, my dad didn't tell anybody. And as a result, 
he he suffered with that. He suffered in silence. You know, I, I have an older daughter who has had her own challenges with mental illness. And, and I, I've been saying a lot lately that unfortunately we couldn't save my father, but we saved my daughter and got her resources that she needed. And it helped with her issues with some depression and some anxiety. And she found medication that balanced her and allowed her to be the best version of herself. So she was fully transparent and she came out and said, this is, this is where I'm at. This is what's going on. And, and this is where I need help. And, and it's because of actions like that, that we can, that we can really give people the direct and personalized help that they need. Once again, you can learn more about Lisa on her website at lisasugarman.com. And Lisa, thank you for sharing your story and making an impact. Thanks, Chris.